Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter number 26. Acts, chapter number 26. Our study Wednesday night covered just one verse. It was from the book of Proverbs in chapter 27 and verse number 1. That verse, as we spent so much time on, deals with the matter of presumption and procrastination. And this morning, I want you to see an example of just how serious that subject can be. You know, procrastination might cause you to miss the business deal of your life. You're not paying attention. You don't take time to to explore the situation and the best deal of your life might be gone. Procrastination might ruin a relationship. Just keep, you know, holding people at arm's length and keeping them in a distance and not letting anybody get close to you. And uh, after a while, they'll go the other direction. It might be that procrastination would destroy your health. Just putting things off that need to be attended to. But today I'm talking about something far more important than uh, any of those things. Health, wealth, and everything else just shrinks into insignificance in the light of a person's spiritual needs. And here in the book of Acts chapter 26, we want to begin in verse number 19. This is the Apostle Paul speaking as he stands before King Agrippa, giving a defense, as it were. It's actually a hearing. We'll talk about that later. And he says in verse 19, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision. He has just related to him his conversion experience on the road to Damascus and the call to the ministry And he says, I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and of Jerusalem and throughout all of the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For this cause the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to the small and the great, saying none of the things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the, uh, be the first that should rise from the dead and should, uh, and show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. And he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also uh, I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, 
almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Anyone wanting to learn how to deal with other people concerning their spiritual needs ought to study the life of Paul. Because over and over again, we see God using him to reach others. We see his great love for others, his wisdom, his insight, his boldness and and tactfulness and all of those things that play an important part in us relaying the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. This chapter starts with his defense before King Agrippa, and the amazing thing is that as you will see, is that throughout this, remember this is a trial, uh, and Paul is tr- trying in one sense to defend himself against the unjust charges, but he shows more concern for the spiritual needs of his audience than he does for his own condition. Now remember, he could be executed in a heartbeat, and yet he's standing there not so much concerned about the mess that he is in, but rather the concern for those that uh, that are sitting there in that audience. I've got to be honest and say I don't think that's true of the average church member in America today. Try to put yourself in Paul's place. Remember, he's been arrested in Jerusalem. That was under false charges, by the way. He was taken before the Sanhedrin. That was the court of, Jew, of the Jewish leaders and uh, the council of the Jews. And then he was sent to Caesarea uh, to Felix, who was the governor of Judea, where he's kept in confinement for a period of two years. Sometimes, you know, we read through the Bible like this and we go from one verse to another and we don't even realize how much time has lapsed during, a, uh, during a, you know, one verse to the other verse. And here he spent two years going through this process. And now it is proposed that they send him back to Jerusalem to be judged. But Paul, being a Roman citizen, and we'll not go into great detail about that, but he was privileged in the sense that although he was a Jew, he was a Roman citizen, And on that basis, he made an appeal to Caesar. The point is, Paul is saying, I would rather be judged by a heathen judge than by these religious Jews. You know, sometimes we think about the Jews being God's chosen people. Well, they were God's chosen nation, all right, but you... You, you need to keep in mind they're the ones that call for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're the ones that have falsely accused him and put him in the mess that he is in. And so he appeals to Caesar. Well, whenever that happened, naturally, that takes the, the Jews out, out of the picture. And so uh, now he's standing before King Agrippa for a hearing before they send him on to Rome. You know, they certainly don't want to ship him off to Rome and uh, to get there and find that it is a waste of Caesar's time to deal with this with this issue. So uh, so I want you to understand some of the details of what's going on here. But I want you to get lost in all of those details. I want you to focus on the on the individuals that make up this story. And there are actually three people that we see here. There's Festus, there's Paul, and there's King Agrippa. Festus, you know, you hear me say many times, 
that the whole world can be divided into two groups, and it's true. It can be divided into the groups of those that are saved and those that are lost. You know, whether they're Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, or whatever they might be, regardless of what religion you are, you're either saved or lost. And with eternity in view, you better make sure you're in the right group. But whenever we look at this, I, we could almost say there is a third group, at, at least, you know, momentarily. We see here in Festus uh, someone that is totally alienated from Christ. He cares nothing about Christ. Whenever Paul is making mention of Christ, he says, Paul, you're mad. You, you've lost your mind. So here's a man that's absolutely alienated from Christ. But we look at Paul and we see somebody that represents those who are all together for Christ. But then we look at King Agrippa and we see someone who is almost persuaded. Almost persuaded. You know, uh, whenever we think about that song that we sang so many times during the invitation, some folks don't realize the the crucial moment in which that thought was brought to our attention. When King Agrippa is sitting there with maybe the greatest preacher that's ever lived since the Lord Jesus Christ, as he is there to deliver him the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, instead of taking advantage of that opportunity, he says, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. So let's look at the story. Paul when he begins his defense, if you can call it that, way back in verse number 1, and he proceeds to give his testimony down through verse number 23. Now, all of that was important because he is relaying his conversion experience and his circumstances. Don't ever underestimate the power of your testimony as a Christian. And so Paul is relating that to him. But here in verse 24 and 25, Festus has interrupted him, accused him of being mad. And, you know, Paul could have sulked away and pouted because somebody made such an accusation against him. He could have hung his head in shame. He he could have become fearful or whatever. But instead of that, he challenges King Agrippa. Uh, and in, in regards to the prophets, he said to the king, he said, look, I know, I know you believe, uh, the prophets, what, what they have written. In other words, he's simply saying, I know that you are aware of what the prophets have said about the coming Messiah. You're not ignorant of that fact. You know those details. You have that information. And so this is a challenge for him to act on the information that he has. And, of course, he refuses. So I want you to think about this this morning, almost persuaded. Notice the revelation that is given to Agrippa. And and the first thing about it is the messenger himself, and that is the Apostle Paul. If anyone knew what he was talking about, it would have been Paul. Let me tell you that a lot of preachers today don't know what they're talking about. A lot of preachers today that have turned religion into entertainment. A lot of preachers today that might be well-intended. They might be sincere, but they're teaching something totally foreign from the Word of God. But you don't need to worry about that when it comes to the Apostle Paul. Here is a man who, because of the influence, the enablement of the Lord himself, a man who was not just well-grounded, but keep in mind, 
the man who wrote the most of the most of the New Testament, a man that God chose to record these things. And now here is this man standing before Agrippa, bringing him a message, as it were, from the Lord. And the message is all about Christ, what Christ had done for him, and also what the prophets had said in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, anyone that will take the Bible and just go back through the Bible and look at all of the prophecies that were given. You know, a lot of times we do this around Christmas time. We ought to do it all of the time. When we think about the fact that 700 years before he was born, it was prophesied that a virgin would conceive. But you can go way back beyond that to Genesis 3.15, where it speaks about the seed of the woman. And so that tells us a great deal about the Lord Jesus Christ. And all through the Old Testament, one prophet after another took up the lamp of prophetic revelation and declared to the world that God so loved the world that he's going to give his only begotten son. Now, look. The, the, the difference between the Old and the New Testament is factly, fact, the fact that in the Old Testament, Christ is concealed in the sense that he hasn't come yet, but he's revealed in the New Testament. God ne has never had two plans of salvation. Somebody says, well, in the Old Testament, they were saved by works. No, they wasn't. They saved by grace through faith, just like they are in the New Testament. But they were saved by looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and their faith in the coming Messiah, whereas we are saved as a result of looking back on His coming and on His sacrifice. So this is the revelation that Agrippa is receiving from the Apostle Paul. And then we see his reasoning with him. Keep in mind that there's more to preaching than just Proclaiming the facts, that is, dispensing information. Preaching involves persuasion. Now, preaching includes teaching. You know, I know a lot of times people, they, uh, people might even say, you know, I, I just don't like that kind of preaching that's all teaching. Well, if it's not teaching, it's not worth listening to. Let me tell you that. And what some folks mean by that is all they want is just all of the, all of the excitement and the emotion and what have you. On the other hand, whenever we think about preaching, it's not just giving out that information. And sometimes we preachers are guilty of that. Some preachers, out of what they perceive to be necessity, get to the point in their ministry that look, I'm not seeing much results from what I'm doing. I don't think the people care what I say regardless. And so in order to keep from getting hurt and discouraged, they develop the attitude that says, look, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to do my job. I'm going to deliver the message and there it is. You can do with it whatever you want to. And I'm going to go home and enjoy a good meal and watch my favorite TV program and let the world just keep turning. I I ain't going to worry about it. Well, let me tell you, when a preacher gets like that, they need to resign. Whenever he gets like that, he needs to do the honest thing and resign immediately because if we don't care, remember the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care? And if we don't care, if all we're going to do is dispense facts, folks, we can get a cassette, well, no, 
You know, you get a CD and plug it in back there and, and, and you know, just get some teaching that way. Preaching is about persuasion as well as instruction. And so here we find Paul urging, reasoning, as it were, with Agrippa to believe. And, and, and it's a challenge to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. The interesting thing is he doesn't say anything about here uh, here about joining the church, does he? He doesn't say anything here about, you know, being baptized or giving to charity or any of those things. He wanted him to believe because he realized that was the only way, the only way anybody could be saved. Remember back in chapter number 16 of the book of Acts, whenever here's Paul and Silas in jail, and the Philippian jailer inquired, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now that would that ought to get any Christian excited. Think about how it would be if you go into work tomorrow morning or you go off to school tomorrow or wherever it is you might be, and somebody that you know, maybe they've never been interested before, never showed any concern before. As soon as you walk in the door, they come running up to you, and say, what must I do to be saved? Boy, you talk about a wonderful opportunity. That's it. I mean, and by the way, if that happens, you want to make sure you say all of the right things, right? But you better make sure you don't say too much. The jailer said, sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Didn't say one word about church membership, baptism, good works, any of those things. So this is what Paul is doing in this case. He is reasoning with Agrippa to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice the response. He says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now, let me throw this in because some people have the idea that it doesn't matter what version of the Bible that you use. And we here believe very strongly and all of our teachers are required to use the King James Version. Well, I mean, we've had people leave the church, I think, because of that, because they, they want to use some modern version or whatever. Do you realize that the NIV says something entirely different than what Agrippa said, I, I'm not going to ask, do you have an NIV? And I'll look at it, and, and I, I'm, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm telling you, it says something that is exactly contrary to what this says. Now, let me ask you a simple question. If one version differs from the other version, they're both different, they say different things, can both versions be 100% accurate? Can both versions be the infallible Word of God? Well, of course not. I mean, there's got to be one of them that's wrong, right? Amen. If one of them's right, one of them's got to be wrong. They can't both be right. Amen. And let me tell you, the King James Version, going all of the way back to 1611, all the way back there to that time, has been the version recognized around the world. For, and look, for good reason. Somebody says, well, we found these older manuscripts. Sure you did. And the translators back then 
rejected all of those older manuscripts till some nutcase comes along in the 20th century and says, boy, I figured out a way I can make a few bucks. I got these old manuscripts. We'll just make a new version of the Bible and sell like hotcakes. And it did. And we have people sitting and listening to preaching out of things that are obviously not the Word of God. Now, it's important that we understand that. He says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. And it's important because if we give people the wrong message, we can't expect to get the right results. Right? Now, we've, we've looked at the message. The message is all about Christ and the testimony of the Apostle Paul. We've considered the messenger, the great Apostle Paul, and what his mission is. His mission was to make the gospel known, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, which thing he said he did. And now he has presented the message to King Agrippa. But here's the mistake of Agrippa that we see here. Folks, this is as bad as it gets. You can afford to be wrong about a lot of different things. You can be wrong about the stock market and lose all of your money. You can be wrong about your doctor and, and lose your good health. You say you can be wrong about a lot of things, but in the end it might turn out, you know, all right. But if you're wrong about this, let me tell you, there's no chance whatsoever. And, uh, and Agrippa is saying, I'm almost persuaded. And you remember this, to be almost persuaded is to be altogether lost. He'll, look, he'll be in the same devil's hell as Hitler, the same devil's hell as, as a serial killer as anybody else, you see. Almost, but he rejected the message. I suspect there'll be a lot of people in hell screaming out almost over and over and over again. Almost. Grandma sat me down and tried to tell me. And I was almost persuaded, but I waited too long. Mom and Dad took me to Sunday school, and I even learned verses in Awana. And I was almost persuaded to be saved, but I waited until it was too late. How sad, folks. And it happens all of the time. The question is, why in the world would anyone reject Christ as their Savior? Think about it. Why? Why would we do that? I don't know how to explain why, but I do know there's some reasons, some factors that cause people to do just that. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Why not? Why aren't you persuaded? It might be a failure to understand the truth. By that, folks, I, I don't mean that you've never heard about Jesus. I don't even mean that you uh, that you don't celebrate his birth when it comes Christmas time. It might be that you acknowledge the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You wouldn't deny that for a second. And whenever, whenever Easter rolls around, you know that's all about the resurrection of Christ. You know it has nothing to do with the Easter bunny. You're well aware of that fact, right? But still, as a result, 
of not being instructed in the Word of God, you're confused about the gospel of Christ. That, that's what a good part of the New Testament is all about. You take the book of Galatians, for example, and what have you, and Paul speaks about something that he calls as another gospel. Well, there is no other gospel. But there is another gospel in the minds of a lot of people. People that would reject the simple message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, they embrace some false doctrine. And that's why I speak so much about religion being such a deadly enemy. Uh, it gives people a false hope. And people go to church, you know, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden they're embracing something that's totally foreign to what the Word of God teaches. And they wrap themselves up in this warm, fuzzy blanket of false hope, and they feel good about themselves. And if you go knock on their door and ask them about their relationship with Christ, oh, they say, uh, you know, I feel good about my chances of getting into heaven. I think I'm saved. I think it's all going to be all right. I was baptized when I was three years old, or like one woman told me, of course I'm a Christian. I was born right here in America. I'm serious. And there's so many people that are so confused about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and yet, you know, you take time in the service like this. By the way, I thought about that even before I preached this this morning. Because I know when I look out there, I know that most of you already know Christ is your Savior. I realize that. It, I, it would have been great if the Lord would have laid a message on my heart about heaven this morning. Boy, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to talk to you about the fact that God is able to do exceeding and abundant above all that we ask or think or how that my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. And sometimes we forget about the fact that there are lost people among us that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen to me. And sometimes they're church members. Sometimes that message that you might in one sense resent like why is he wasting our time preaching the gospel again? Why, why would he do that? Well, it's because it might be one of your kids. It's lost as a billy goat. might be because your mom or your dad, you've thought all of these years, you've thought they know Christ is their Savior. They're a good Christian. And it might be nothing could be further from the truth. They have, they have embraced a false hope, and that causes some, because of their lack of understanding, to procrastinate. But there's another factor. It might be the fear of man. You better believe Agrippa knew that others were watching and listening. Remember, here's a man in a position of authority. Here is a man that demands respect from the people. You better believe he's going to make sure he's right before he makes any kind of religious commitment in front of them. They're watching. Hephaestus had just accused Paul of being crazy. What do you think he's going to think about King Agrippa? Agrippa says, Paul, hey, I know that you're right, and I've been, I've been putting this off far too long. I'm going to settle this today. I want to become a Christian right here, right now. He knows Festus is going to think, man, now i got another nutcase on my hand. He knows what, what they're thinking. And by the way, don't kid yourself, 
We are greatly influenced by what other people think. Whether we should be or, or not, people are greatly influenced by what they think others are going to think. There are people, for example, that are afraid to publicly profess Christ because they know that, that grandpa or somebody else is not going to be pleased. They don't believe like we do. And, and after all, Grandpa was a whatever kind of preacher. Doesn't agree with those Baptists down there, once saved, always saved. Salvation by grace through faith. What are you talking about? Grandpa believed with all of his heart. You had to go down to the river and be baptized and so forth. And, and look, there are those that have come right out and told me. Like one fellow was in a, was out of town on a job, was sitting there in the motel room and uh, talking about the Lord. And, and so I'd read out of the Bible. I'd say, is that, uh, is that, uh, is that what your church teaches? And he'd say, no. I said, well, is that what the Bible says? And he'd say, yeah, that, that's what the Bible says, but, you know, that's what, not what my church teaches. He was a Catholic, graduated from Catholic college. And I, I said, look, if what you believe, if your religion isn't what the Bible teaches, why wouldn't you change your religion? Here's his answer. Because it's against our religion to change our religion. <laughs> really? Wow. It's not a matter of whether it's right or wrong. It's a matter that if I change my religion, my family's going to disown me. Well, let me tell you what, if that describes you this morning, you better quit worrying about what other people think and you better start thinking about what God thinks. And the Bible says we are accepted in the Beloved. Only in the Lord Jesus Christ is there acceptance with God. The Bible says He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There's no other way to the Father but by Him, you see. You better not allow the fear of man to keep you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another thing that no doubt entered into it. And that's the matter of fleshly lust. I mean, love for sin. I'm talking about the pleasure of sin. It might have to do with possessions. It might have to do with just worldly pleasure in general. But some people refuse to become a Christian because they're unwilling to give up some particular pet sin that they enjoy. I was in Kansas City years ago, and they're in a revival meeting. Talked to a fellow there that had admitted that he knew that he needed to be saved. And yet he said, there's one thing keeps me from being saved. He said, I'm not a Christian. He said, but I love drinking beer. And he said, anytime I want a beer, I want to be able to get up out of my, my recliner and go into the refrigerator and get me a cold beer. And he said, I know if I become a Christian, you know I can't do that. And so I'm going to decline. I'm serious. Can you imagine? Let, let me tell you something, because there might be somebody here like that, and you think, well, you know, you know, I love, I love my particular sin, and I know if I become a Christian, I've got to give that up. Let me tell you, giving that up won't make you a Christian. That didn't make you a Christian. The only thing that makes you a Christian is 
the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and you putting your trust in what he did, your faith in his sacrifice, that's the only thing that will save you. I didn't give you a license to go out here and get drunk right after you made a profession of faith. Doesn't give you a license to do that. In fact, the chances are after you trust Christ as your Savior, something's going to happen that changes will take place in your life. It won't be you changing yourself to make yourself acceptable to God. It'll be Christ who is making a new creature out of you. Making you something you've never been before. But fleshly lust keeps a lot of people away from receiving Christ. Or maybe, you know, their idea is, well, I'm not going to altogether reject Christ, but I'm, I'm going to wait till I'm older and I've sowed my wild oats. I'm going to wait till I'm older. You know, I've had my chance to eat, drink, and be merry and live it up and what have you. And someday before I die... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll receive the Lord. Well, maybe you will, maybe you won't. You might fall over dead in the next 30 seconds. We don't know about that. And then there's the possibility of it was just plain foolishness on his part. You know, there are some people that are, will agree with you about Christ. They'll even express an interest in being saved, but they just simply presume that 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 I can put it off, that I can wait. Now, Agrippa could have said that. Agrippa could have said, look, Paul, I'm fed up with this nonsense. I don't want to hear any more about it. I don't care what kind of religion you are, what kind of experience you've had. I've heard all of it I want to. Get out of here. I'm through with this mess. He could have said that. In fact, there was probably some in the crowd that would have applauded him. Had he said that, it would have made him more popular. He didn't say that. He said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I said a while ago, to be almost persuaded to be altogether lost. To be almost persuaded is to be yet in your sins. To be almost persuaded is to be condemned already, as the Bible says. To be almost persuaded is to be deprived of everything that the Bible has to offer you by way of a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no joy unspeakable and full of glory and peace that passeth all understanding. And none of those things Christians enjoy, none of that is for you. You're almost persuaded, but you're altogether lost. I can't explain to you how dangerous delay is. Over the years, I've had the privilege of, of becoming acquainted with a, a lot of, as I found out later, famous preachers, and and all, all of them were different. Uh, and I don't have time to tell about all of that, but one of them that was really different and really special to me and and I think that Bev also was Lester Roloff. Brother Roloff was, uh, he was just different. And uh, I've known a lot of really good singers. Brother Roloff wasn't one of them. But I would have rather heard Brother Roloff sing than just about any of them because he knew how to get to your heart. And I remember Brother Roloff telling a story about a woman who had expressed 
concern about being saved. And, uh, and, and so he had gone there, sat down with her, presented the gospel, pleaded with her to be saved right there in the home. And she told Brother Roloff, she said, uh, no, she said, I'll tell you what, I don't want to do that right now, but I'll be there next Sunday. When you give the invitation next Sunday, said, I, I, I'll come forward and I'll be saved. Brother Roloff tried to explain to her how dangerous it was to procrastinate, to presume on God that you'll have another opportunity. She refused. She was steadfast and determined, preacher, I promise you I'll be there. Sure enough, she was there. She showed up for the service. And just as Brother Roloff started the message that morning, that woman fell over dead. Let me tell you, it's a dangerous thing for any of us to presume on God. It's the one sin in the Old Testament for which they had no sacrifice. The sin of presumption. I know I need to be saved. I know I need to trust Christ. And I plan to do that someday. But someday might never come. Whatever you do, dear friend, don't wait until it's too long. Kind of like a fellow I read about that had an infection in his finger and and so as a result of that, the doctor said, look, we've got to amputate that finger. And the guy said, look, I, I don't want you to cut off my finger. I, I must wait a few days and maybe it'll get better. And uh, so the doctor said, I don't think you ought to put it off. And so anyway, the guy did, and he, all of a sudden he realized it's getting a lot worse. You see the red streaks coming up his arm and what have you. Finally, he calls the doctor and says, you know, hey, doc, I'm, I'm ready. Go ahead and take it off. And uh, the doctor examines him. He's in the hospital now, and he examines him, and he says, well, you've waited too long. said, your, your hand's got to come off. My hand? I, I can get by without a finger, but I don't know how I can get by without my hand, Doc. Um, I, I just, I'm not ready for that. Let me think about it. And the doctor said, don't you wait too long. Sure enough, whenever the hand began to get infected worse, he finally had the nurse go get the doctor and said, I tell him I'm ready. The doctor came and he looked at it and said, I'm sorry to tell you, but we've got to do more than that. It's going to require taking your arm off and again he played the delay game for a day or two the doctor come in and said you know finally said, i'm ready take it off they amputated the arm the infection had spread all over his body and he died now i'm simply i'm simply saying to you folks it's one thing to lose a finger a hand an arm it's even one thing to die. Some people think they act like death is the worst thing that could happen to somebody. No, it's not. There's a lot of things worse than death, folks. It's dying without the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most horrible thing that can happen to anyone. Don't be like King Agrippa. Don't leave here today saying, well, I'm almost persuaded. And Brother Kenneth can tell you, and we've seen it over and over again, during the course of a service and the invitation is given and you can see conviction all over a person's face. Sometimes you can literally see people tremble during the invitation. 
And yet they'll just keep resisting and the devil's telling them, just hang on a little longer. Just They'll be through. You can get out the door. You can go on. One of these days you're going to do that for the last time and it'll be too late. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You don't have a promise that you can be saved tomorrow. The only promise you have is that you can be saved right here, right now, by simply putting your trust in Jesus Christ. We're going to give you that opportunity to do that as we stand together and our musicians come and Tim leads us in an invitation song. And I hope you'll really give serious thought to your, your spiritual need this morning. I hope you'll think about the great sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf and that you'll trust him. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning as helpless little children, realizing that we can't do anything in and of ourselves. And if anything of eternal value is accomplished here today, it'll be because of you as a result of your spirit, a result of the power of your word. And I just pray you'll speak to hearts. Lord, we, we think about those here that have made professions of faith. We think about Robin being baptized last week after being saved. All of these years of having con- convinced everybody that she was a Christian, and yet deep in her heart she knew something was missing, something was wrong. And Lord, I just pray if there's someone else here today like that, Someone that has rejected their opportunity over and over and over again. Maybe it's because of their love of sin. Maybe their fear of man. I don't know what it is, but Lord, I pray that you'll just, by working of your Spirit, that you'll draw them to the cross and that they'll be saved before it's too late. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand as we sing, would you come?